Hi, I'm Rochella in North Carolina. And I'm James in London. And I'm Nate in Colorado. And we are Friends in Formation. It's a podcast where three different friends take your questions about life and faith with the goal to listen, learn, and help one another grow deeper in our life with God. Friends in Formation is produced by Renovare, a Christian ecumenical renewal effort offering resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. We'd love for you to join the conversation. Do email us your questions to friends at renovare.org. That's friends at R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E dot org. And if we use your question in a future episode, we will gladly send you a coffee mug featuring the Friends Information logo. Hey, we have had so many interesting questions. I do about you, but it's hard to know exactly which ones to answer. Such a variety. Haven't you spotted that? I mean, everything from dating people to different streams to questions about challenges in life and spiritual gifts and contemporary issues like people who don't believe in God and COVID and difficulties in <laughs> churches and family stuff and how to, you know, choose a book to read. I mean, what are you finding? There's quite a lot, aren't there? Should we tell them how long it takes us to choose our questions? <laughs> <laughs> Agonize over. Yes. It I really mean, we've told is. people that we read every question, right? And we can't answer everyone, but I hope people do know not only do we read them, but we, man, we appreciate the fact that people send yeah. in such heartfelt questions. Oh, gosh. I think the other thing, at least for me, I have other questions in mind when we're working with these, right? Mm -hmm. Because you'll see these themes and it, it's actually helpful to know what people are struggling with or wondering about. Absolutely. Helps to point out what I'm struggling with and mm -hmm. <laughs> wondering about, right? Yeah. Actually, I have one today that caught my eye, captured my heart. And I just, I have, ever since I read it, I found myself playing it over and over in my head. What, what real difference does this make? Because I think it makes a big difference. Can, can I share it with y'all? Mm, please mm -hmm. go ahead. A listener named Kath wrote in and said, my question concerns a phrase I hear you use often in Renovari that is referring to people as image bearers. And that is, that's a phrase we use a lot, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Kath says, I must admit, this always makes me sit up as it was not a phrase I had encountered much. At first, I wondered if it was just a poetic way of referring to humanity, but I'm coming to realize it's an important truth and attitude, one that I feel I might have lacked perhaps because my evangelical background had focused more on the depravity of man and perhaps viewing humanity, especially oneself, from a position of sinfulness. So she says, specifically, how have you learned to see yourself and others as image bearers, not just as a theological belief, but in practice? And how does this help your spiritual formation? Isn't that a good question? It is. I like that. It the is. practical, yeah. and then how does this help? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, what you got, James? Well, I've only just, just to, to state the blind thing, the obvious, Genesis 1, chapter 1, 26, 27, 28 verses. I mean, 
that's where it comes from. Let us create in our image. So it's let us create plural. So it's more than one. And in our image. So it's our plural. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> and I know we sometimes use this as a joke. What was God doing before the creation of the world? Answer, he was enjoying themselves. That's the, mm-hmm. the, the joke. Um, <laughs> he was enjoying themselves, meaning God, plural, the Trinity is a community. So image bearing comes from that bit very early on in scripture, but it's image bearing of God, the relationship, the loving relationship. God mm-hmm. is his love not as a static item, but as a dynamic of interaction between the Trinity. So it's relationship, it's um, bearing image. It's not me as an individual bearing this image. It's me in relationship to others. We're not flying Mm. solo in heaven with a bit of formation flying on a Sunday in church. (laughs) You know, this idea sort of we are community. So image bearing of that, image bearing in terms of fruitfulness, you know, we're told this, these verses, you know, be fruitful and multiply. So God is creating creators. So as image bearers, we are creatives. It's not just a few people who are sort of artsy and that kind of thing. Actually, we're all, we're all creators god he's a creator of creators and the third thing that i just pick up out of this is in the image of bearing god is unceasing and so as we bear his image we too are intended to be unceasing beings i want to sort of emphasize that how do we bear his image well, we have an eternity view of ourselves and each other, of others that we're speaking with, we're in company with, we're working with. So I'm, I'm intrigued by that. How do I, therefore, as image bearers, relate to other image bearers in practical ways? I am in relationship with them, so that's important. They're not just there for my good, I'm there for their good. One of the greatest lies of our age is that I don't need you to be who I am. There's often a view that, you know, you are simply unnecessary. There's a, there's a sort of view around is that I'm, I'm an individual, I must express my individuality. I don't need you to be who I am. But that's the lie, because I do need you. To be who I need you to bear the image. For me to bear the image of God, I need you. Hmm. So there's a relationship point. To be image bearers, I need to recognize the sacred part of my creativity, whether you're a teacher or a farmer or a plumber or a pastor, creatives, and then that unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny, that eternity starts now. So how do I bear that eternity image of God? I mean, that's probably quite a theological answer, but there we are. I've started there, and you can give a more <laughs> practical, practical approach. 
but I hope that's helped. This is really helpful. I, I wasn't thinking about a number of these pieces, community, creators, unceasing being. That's helpful. Okay, here's what, here's what I do with the phrase. I love that you mentioned Genesis. And yes, I, I love that picture of God breathing into the nostrils of Adam. I mean, it's, it's kind of gross, but the idea that <laughs> the idea that our breath, you know, holds something. What I do with this phrase is um, you hold the light of Christ within. There's a spark of divinity within each of us. Not that we're gods. I'm not going there at, at, at all. We hold something uh, mm-hmm. of, of great value and, and in, in our very creation with it. So what that does for me from a practical standpoint is it reorients myself to others. It's really hard to have transactional relationships or dehumanize others when I'm living in the reality that this is a much beloved person who holds something of the divine in their being. I find that extremely helpful for just reorienting myself to others. How do I do it? I tell myself it, particularly if someone's annoying me. I'll kind of go, this is an image bear. And then the prayer that follows it, would you show me what you like about them? (laughs) <laughs> like, show me why you like this person. And that just reorients myself to then treat a person as the most important person at this moment. So I find it really helpful. So I'm going to tie that with, I'm going to play with that, James, this piece, as you said. Michelle, what you got? Well, I would build a little bit on what both of you have said. And in going back to the phrase in Genesis, I mean, if we, if we think of the ancient world in which the scripture was written, you know, ruling as an image bearer has a part to play because ancient kings set themselves up or were set up as ruling and things were done in their image to be to have image bearers implies that you are the ruler we bear the image of the ruler of all because in that act of creation the trinity placed their image in us. So we are, remember how Dallas used to like to say that we're training for reigning? We're we're told Uh that we will reign with God through the ages of ages, but we're actually, we're actually ruling right now. So to be an image bearer, to be a ruler means to have responsibility for. And the way we rule is by doing exactly what you said, James, by by creating. I mean, the first ruling was by gardening, right? <laughs> it's like <laughs> created, created um, the, the man, created the woman and basically said, okay, rule, take care of this garden that I've given to you. Take care of the whole earth, right? Build things, make things, take this beautiful creation and make it even better by cultivating and building things, by building communities, by building what will be for the good of everyone. And of course, very quickly, the enemy of our souls was at work convincing them that that God's way was actually not good. And that's where we get off track is when we decide to rule whatever is under our domain by our own thoughts of what is good and bad rather than by God's thoughts of what is good and bad. But then, of course, we have this example in Jesus of what actually is good. And you'll remember in in the letters of Paul, Jesus is talked about as the image 
of the invisible God, right? Jesus, the man, the image of the invisible God. So this is contained in this little phrase is not only a truth, but sort of this beautiful picture of what human beings are made to be co-creators with God, co-rulers with God over this creation. It is incredible opportunity and incredible responsibility. But I want to pick up a little bit on something Kath said. I'm assuming Kath is a woman. Kath, if, if that's short for a man's name, you'll forgive me. But thinking probably from the evangelical background, had, had learned to view mankind just as horrible sinners rather than image bearers of God. And I do think it makes a huge difference in our spiritual formation, how we come to view ourselves and others. And if we can dismiss ourselves as horrible sinners, rather than people of incredible value to God, then, I mean, sort of why bother can often be the attitude. This is not how God views us. God doesn't view us as horrible sinners worth nothing. That's some bad theology. The good theology is that God views us with so much love, made to function together to be bearers of his image rather than human refuse. You know, it makes a huge difference if you can learn to see yourself as a beloved child of God instead of just a piece of nothing. We're not pieces of nothing. We're pieces of an amazing, wonderful good that God is doing in our world. I'd love the idea of learning to do what you said, Nate, viewing every single person I come in contact with. And sometimes you really have to put on your Jesus colored glasses to see another person that way, right? (laughs) When it's the person who cuts you off in traffic or when it's the person who takes your coffee order or jumps the line or whatever. Oh, take it further. People are abusive or, that's right. That's right. Like treat you badly. No, that's right. Others, right? Yep. It makes a big difference to stop and remember that every single human being actually is endowed with this amazing gift that the Spirit of God has given to us. So it does take some cultivation. There's a lot here, yeah. and I'd love for us to keep keep talking about it. There's a lot here. There's a lot more for us to push into. I mean, I love the way Kath brings up this point. She says, I think because my evangelical background, I focus more on the depravity of man begins viewing humanity, especially one's self-imposition of sinfulness, where the image of God is lost and only restored in Christ. Well, yes, our image of God (laughs) is lost, and it is only restored in Christ. I certainly buy that. You know, sometimes you get asked, do you believe in the total depravity (laughs) of man? (laughs) And the response is, well, Certainly sufficient depravity. That's right. There's plenty of depravity to go around. <laughs> there's plenty, and we're sufficiently depraved to know that there's nothing we can do about it. We depend totally on Christ. But on the other hand, alongside that, the restoration in Christ is a very, very significant part of our journey. One practical exercise that can be helpful is to walk yourself through your life and at every step say, 
much loved, much loved as the image bearer. So you picture yourself or you get a picture of yourself as a tiny baby being held by a parent, perhaps, and you just keep working through much loved, much loved, and then take it on to the early years when you're just about to, to walk much loved, much loved, and you just take your time and work through your life. And maybe you have to replace some images that aren't you know, helpful with a godly Trinitarian view, much loved, much loved, even through times of failure and rebellion and deliberate acts or whatever. Or times when you were not loved well by others. Yeah. There, in each of our lives, there, there are times when we've not been loved yeah. well by folks who should have loved us well. But there's never a time that we're separated from right. the love of God. Right. And I would do that exercise very slowly, like mm -hmm. not even in a day, do it over a year. You know, I mean, take as long as you need to just to walk yourself through all of that. Because that, if you're looking for a practical thing you can do, that might be a helpful one as an image bearer of God. Now, why don't we go from Kath to Katie? Because Katie writes, and it's an interesting to build on this, Katie writes, I'm currently reading The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. This is a book by an author called John Mark Comer. And Katie says, and trying reasonably not to be in a hurry with this book, which is a good thing. Um, and next on the list for her is Streams of Living Water, which is one of our core books by uh, Richard Foster. Now, some dear church friends have begun to visit the churches of their friends, ones they know have a true deep relationship with God, who attend churches of different church denominations in order to gain a better appreciation and understanding of their traditions. I find myself wishing that we too had many friends from other church denominations who could not only serve as our safeguards, but with whom we could afterwards discuss their traditions and church's values and process those of our own more objectively and reflectively. We would greatly appreciate any suggestions you could offer as to how to go about this. She then says, this feels like a spiritual version of how do you make friends after the age of 30. I'm not actually sure that's <laughs> quite the parallel. I mean, not, I mean, it's fine, but I think it is, I understand the point that it is sometimes hard to reach out to people from a tradition that isn't your own. Well, look, guys, what advice would you give on this one? Well, first of all, may I say to you, Katie, good for you. I'm glad you're reading The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I'm glad you're reading it slowly. Congratulations. But I also want you to know you have a treat in store when you, and it's time to read Streams of Living Water. 
And that's going to actually be a really good place for you to start, partly because in that book, Richard names different people from history who are parts of all the different streams. It's very reassuring. It's a good starting point because you'll see that, that Jesus embodies all the different streams, so you can know you're in good, safe company. But then we'll also look at the lives of various people from human history who have been part of each of those streams. So you can, in reading it, you can rest assured that you will be in good company no matter where you find yourself on the spectrum. And I would say that's a great place to start just because we can be so entrenched in our own streams that we're a little suspicious of all the others. And in my own journey, I actually, you know, used to be part of a church that really did view itself as the church. I mean, I have friends who still think that if you are a member of the church, universal, you are necessarily a member of that one particular denomination. I think that's a very short-sighted view, and yet it is a view held by many that you must be a part of this tradition or you're not truly a Christian. Heretical more than problematic. Well, yeah, I think it actually is, (laughs) if you want to cut right to the chase. But knowing, knowing that you're in good company can help. Practically, though, how do you do it? I think that's, I sense that's what you're asking. And I will say there is one gift. There are many, but one particular gift, I think that living through a global pandemic has given us in that many churches now actually broadcast their services in some way. I'm a member of a tiny little church, and yet because we we have some folks who are still compromised enough that they can't meet in person, you can watch our services on YouTube. So is it beautiful? Are the Are the recordings super professional? No, but you can get a really good idea of what our services look like by tuning in online. And so that might be a way to be a little fly on the wall at some other services, which I I, I get the sense this is what you're asking. How How could I see what other traditions worship is like? So, so I would be more informed. I don't get the sense that Kath is necessarily looking for a different church. She's looking to learn from different traditions. I think this is a way, excuse me, Katie, not Kath. This is a way you could visit while your baby's taking a nap. Turn on, open up your computer and just watch a recording of a church service from a very different background and see what it's like. I think you'll find that there are lovers of Jesus there. And I think you'll be enriched. So that's one very practical way, I would say. May I just interrupt you and say, Rochella, one of the things that I've found is that the ramp is pretty steep when you cross into a different church. Mm -hmm. The language, the practices, the procedures. I mean, how can we handle that the, you know, on-ramp into these? You know, they, they talk a different language. They use different uh, concepts. I mean, what's your th- thoughts on that? 
Yeah, just knowing when to stand and when to sit and when to kneel and well, when right. to head <laughs> for the exit. Yeah, yeah exactly. It can seem maybe. Well, she's she's looking for conversation. That's what yeah. I right, like friends. Yeah. yeah. To to be helpful. I think she is looking for conversation. One of the reasons I mentioned the online services is because it can help you enter the conversation. So if you watch an online service and you observe what the folks gathered do, it can be a really good first step. What it will likely do is bring up a bunch of questions, but it might be a way to learn a little bit of the language just so you know what questions to ask. What, what is it that everybody's reading from? What is this? Everybody seemed to know the words to blank. How did you all learn those words? Is that something from the Bible? And I've just never seen it before. Or is it something from a prayer book? Or is this something that only your, this denomination does? You know, that sometimes you, you don't know what questions to ask. And so doing something as simple as watching an online service can help bring up some of the right questions. I love you have the patience to watch an online service. I don't know. I can't go there, but I'm glad others can. I don't know that I have much to say. I will say I love that she's looking for guardrails and safety mm-hmm. and an awareness that I might be missing some really important things. I think that's really beautiful. Uh, it's one of the things I've appreciated about the Renovari community mm-hmm. is that we, we hold a kind of big tent. And so we get to learn from each other in that. Probably just practically, you know, go to others, go to them, you know. And maybe if you watch some online ones in your community and then and then go. I mean, that's probably the easiest way to get to meet people um, to start that conversation. But yeah, friends over 30. Uh, yeah, I don't quite know what to do with that. Yeah, it can be hard, right? The One other little thing I will say just as a suggestion, maybe attend a special service. I think one of the things that Katie mentions in her longer email is that she has, I think, a an 18-month-old, and it can just be hard to go to other services. And also, it can really feel like you get not attacked, but welcomed vociferously <laughs> if you attend another service. Oh, you got to explain <laughs> that word. <laughs> It, it, it is true that if you attend some services, folks are just so desperate to welcome you that they can make you feel like a piece of meat, right? Oh, who are you? Where are you from? Are you new in town? Are you looking for a church? Here, let me tell you about all of our things. I mean, you, you can kind of get the sense that that you're um, an experiment at times. She just wants to see, I think, what what other traditions are like. So maybe a place to start would be to attend a special service. For instance, if your church does not celebrate Advent, maybe go to a service of one that does celebrate Advent. Maybe find a Christmas Eve service to attend. Maybe during the season of Lent, maybe find an Ash Wednesday service to attend outside your tradition. And I would say, take someone with you so that you can debrief it later. Another thing to do is to find something that is um, not billed as a worship service, but is worshipful. For instance, coming up for me, 
will be a yearly attendance to a performance of the Messiah. Now, that is Mm. a very worshipful experience. But for us here in Durham, North Carolina, the best place to do that is at Duke Chapel. Duke Chapel is a church not of my own tradition, but going there and being there for that very worshipful service is really meaningful to me. And I've learned a lot from it. So there might be resources like that in your community, Katie. I was interested in this question because the line that caught me was, want to visit churches of other friends, ones that know that they know and have a true, deep relationship with God that they know have a true, deep relationship with God. And it's that, I think, what's behind this is, is at least I think it could be, what can they teach me about a true, deep relationship with God? And that is worth pursuing because they might have a different perspective than I have, something I can learn from them. And I'm intrigued by that because we sometimes there's an expression that the purpose of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community. And that community is going to include different church experiences. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, as long as there's a high view of Christ and the Bible is the kind of outer edges of, of it, and we work within the scriptures and what the scriptures allow... I mean, you know, that's quite a big area, actually. That's quite a big field to explore. And I'm particularly interested in this, and I'm so pleased that Katie's exploring this because it's learning through different traditions, but the traditions will take you into different racial and sectarian viewpoints. And if God is at work creating an all-inclusive community, by going through the denominations, we'll start to go through and experience different racial, ethnic characteristics that people have. And that's a very worthwhile pursuit. And anything we can do around a vare that helps us in that, I'm very, very pro. You know, visiting churches is good. Talking about why did you do that? And the question I'd want to ask is, how did that practice in your church tradition help you to have a truer and deeper relationship with God? That That's what I'd want to ask. So you're doing that. It's not my style. Don't know what that means. But could I just ask you with a humble heart, <laughs> not an arrogance. How is that helping you have a truer, deeper relationship with God? Because I'm interested, because I want that. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm, mm-hmm. I'm after. And maybe that's something we could become interested in. And, and, you know, offer, you know, others, ours as well. You know, bring out your greatest treasure is really what I'm interested in. What is your church tradition really, you know, strong at? right. Help me understand that. Help me grasp that, because I want a truer, deeper relationship with him. Okay, I got a question, and I'm doing a mix in a couple of them here together, but the first one begins like this. What do you do when you feel like you're in a setting that God hasn't called you to? 
Mm-hmm. This particular person is in a ministry appointment that they're doing because they have the skills, not necessarily where they're sensing God would have them. Uh, and then it follows up with what can I do to not just survive during this difficult season, but thrive. And this ties into a question that we got as a follow-up from Jason, who commented that he enjoys the peacefulness that comes from this, even at 1.5 speed, uh, oh, listening, yeah. listening to us. Remember, remember him? Mm-hmm. So Jason is, is one year removed from um, pastoral ministry and feels a little set aside from ministry. He said, he, I find myself constantly looking for what might be next. Do you have any advice on how to better live into and accept what, where God has me right now? I have no doubt that I'm where God wants me to be, but I still find myself constantly thinking about and planning any and every possible next thing. Mm. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I, I, I know what that feels like. I know when I've been pursuing and saying what's next and, you know, the hurry up is, is, is you know, Lord, please act. Please show me. Please give me some sense of where, where is this going? You know, this is a pastoral issue, and there's, there's no blanket answer here. If we're alongside anybody who's working through these kinds of issues, there's no, you know, you should stay or you should leave. So I'm not suggesting this is the answer. I am interested in doing some exploration, though. If I was to say to you, you couldn't move um, the house the house you're in, you're going to stay in forever. And you go, oh, that's a bit of a shame. I was rather looking forward to selling up and getting a bit more space here and having this on this floor. And And if you say, well, no, if we've got to stay put, what needs to change here? What can I do with the house I'm in and learn and adapt to where I am? So before I think I'm out, I just want to be looking at the why might I, I stay. In the book, The Divine Conspiracy, there are groups of disciplines or practices that we choose, you know, celebration, worship, prayer, compassion. You know, there's, a, there's, there's no absolute list, but there are some. So things we choose, we do. And then there's a list of things that are imposed, discipline or a practice that's imposed on us. We, we didn't ask for this. I didn't ask for the health condition I've got. I didn't ask for the socioeconomic place I'm in. I didn't ask for it. They're imposed. And I wonder whether roles and jobs and ministry sometimes is a discipline that's an imposed I wish I could sell this house and buy somewhere else, but I can't at this point, or maybe not ever. So how do I change? Well, if I've got to stay here, maybe I can change this or that or adapt or my schedule or how I operate or how I relate to other people. Are there things I can do? One thing I find people sometimes do, and they say, I'm working so hard in this job I'm not really enjoying. And I was sometimes asked, well, can you dial back at all from what you're doing? Do you have to work so hard or many hours? Because if you didn't, if you only work the hours you should work rather than 
overtime and stressfully, is it possible to dial back a bit and um, and work your hours? And maybe that would help because people do work so incredibly hard and often in jobs they don't like. And I sometimes wonder, are you not enjoying the job because you're in, you're working too hard? Is it fundamentally the wrong place? Having said all that, I'm not saying you shouldn't leave, but I'd be prayerful about that. Is now the time? I once spontaneously in the middle of a talk, I said, would you like to hear the greatest sin of my life? Because <laughs> I think I've identified it, you know, and, 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 and then here's where I went. It's the next thing. It's right. not being content where I am, but just mm-hmm. constantly when I graduate, when I get married, when I get the house, when I get the job, you know, like always when the kids grow up, when this or that and, and missing what's right in front of me. A um, couple thoughts that come to mind on this is I love the kind of idea of grow where you're planted. Doesn't mean you're going to stay there forever, but, but dig in while you happen to be there. There's some real benefit from there. The other thing that comes to mind is the rule of stability. Mm-hmm. I love this kind of monastic idea that this is where I am and I'm not going to leave until the person in authority tells me to leave. And it kills the grass is greener on the other side. Now, that's not necessarily helpful for our friends here because it, it may be very clear that this is not where they're to be. So the last thing I'd give is the idea of a Quaker discernment meeting. And it's very simple. You gather a group of people that you trust, that you, it, you know, have something to offer. And short of it is you share where you're at and they listen well and there's some silence and they ask you some questions. Uh, and then people kind of share what they're sensing from God, although they don't tell you what to do. It's a slow, long process. And I think that's a really good way to help make some of these decisions so that you're not doing it in isolation and you're not necessarily missing your blind spots to it. Mm. That's helpful. You have to start there from a place of humility, right? Yes. Yeah. If I pick up on that, I love that practice of stability. I think that very helpful what you said there to find stability. Now, it may be that, you know, the job is the stability, or it may be that you need to find stability in the job, (laughs) find practices, find activities, find ways to root yourself, even if you're in a a position where you'd really rather be someplace else. Where can I get some stability? What are the practices I can get? I think that's helpful. And in terms of the question, what can I do, not just to survive during the difficult season, but thrive? I think the other thing is to look for unexpected graces in it, because There often are gifts that God has for us, even in the most desperately difficult conditions. So prayerfully looking for unexpected graces that come to us from another person or something comes to us or there's different things we can learn. It's very interesting if we do ask ourselves that, it's quite interesting what comes up. But over to you, Rochelle. Well, just simply, it sometimes is helpful to me to reframe a little bit. It doesn't change the circumstance, but it can change my approach to think that what I'm doing at the moment is actually practicing a discipline 
of submission. I am answering a call, even if it's not my calling. I'm answering a call to use what I've been given in a worthwhile pursuit. I am submitting my desires to whatever authority. And to know that I can do that as an act of my own will, right? Okay, I'm laying aside my agenda right now, and I am submitting to this authority, knowing a couple of things. One, God is there. God's with me. Even if I'm not enjoying what I'm doing, even if it feels like not the highest use of my skill or whatever, God is with me in this pursuit and also knowing that nothing is wasted. This is one of the things that I love best about God. God just doesn't waste experiences. Even the most difficult ones God can use to bring about real good. Sometimes I get impatient about when he's going to bring about the real good. (laughs) But it, it helps me to think in terms of, okay, for this season, I'm laying aside my particular desire, submitting to this authority in my life, doing what needs to be done here. And knowing that this will not be wasted, that there will be a time for me to move to the area in which I feel the greater calling. But for now, I'm obeying. And I think you're right, James. There will be graces. Let me just ask you both. What if you're in a really crushing place, a bone crunching role? I mean, you know, or abusive or exploitative or you know they're not honoring you respecting you that's different i would say wholeheartedly that remaining in a position of being abused is very different i'm not saying that god is not with you but submitting to abuse is not what i'm talking about yeah submitting to authority should not entail submitting to abuse So I don't think abuse is God's will. I see it as an issue of discernment and kind of waiting for clarity of what it is to do. And you don't need to know very far in advance, you know, what is it to do this week, this month? And if it's clear that this is not what you're to do, well, (laughs) make a plan and go, you know, Don't, don't let fear hold you in that. Yeah, I mean, I do think your point about Quaker discernment, which, I mean, even if you don't go through that as a formal process, having a group of people who who will hold you and will look after Mm -hmm. you and you are able to share some of the struggles, that's a very practical thing you can do. I don't think I'd have survived in many contexts without people there that I can be honest with and open up with. Yeah, waiting is a very tricky you know, job. Our dear friend who passed away just a week or two ago, Emily Griffin, who um, was a member of the industry team, she wrote a book called Clinging, which in times like this, you know, is not a bad place to start. Just a simple book, not very long. I don't know how easy it is to obtain, but it's called Clinging by Emily Griffin. How do we cling when we're going through these tough, tough experiences? 
Well, everybody, it's been great to have you with us, and we're so grateful that you joined us for this episode of Friends in Formation. Head over to renovare.org to find resources and helpful ways to pursue a life with God, and also to hear the Renovare podcast. We would love to have your questions. We appreciate them so much. If we pick one of yours to answer, we'll send you a free coffee mug, which is really just our way of saying you're a part of the conversation. Please send your questions to friends at renovare.org. That's friends at r-e-n-o-v-a-r-e dot org and we look forward to seeing you the next time on friends in formation